So it plays out real simple. The Lakers get AD. They add some talented role players around AD and LeBron. Sixers keep Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, and Jimmy Buckets. And there's your 2019-2020 NBA Finals. I'm sure it's just that simple or... Maybe not quite that simple. With free agency, there always comes change. And really, if you look at this particular free agent class, change has already been in effect with two major injuries. With KD going down, with Clay going down, it's already impacted the decisions that a lot of franchises are going to make during the free agency process. And I actually think this particular class of free agents, when you look at the overall talent, not the top heavy, not at the very top, but I'm talking about the second tier guys, the rotation guys, the guys that play 15 to 20 minutes a game but can still impact the game. There's going to be a sea change. Just think about it. Each conference is gearing their teams, their franchises for different things. The way this the setup is for this particular offseason, when you look at the Eastern Conference, the way it's set up with the top five teams in the East, they're trying to keep what they have. In the East, it really is all about what you can keep. If the champs, that's right, the Toronto Raptors, if the champs are able to retain the services of Kawhi Leonard, now you're talking about a team that's set to at least be a legit contender. I'm giving the Raptors a legit chance to repeat as NBA champs if they can retain the services of Kawhi Leonard. You're talking about one of the three best players in basketball. But what if they don't keep Kawhi? What if he bounces? That would enact a domino effect. They're not going to resign 35-year-old Marcus Saul. They're not going to resign Danny Green. They're going to move a 33-year-old Cal Lowry. They're going to start a rebuilding process, and they're going to build it around a 25-year-old, talented 6'10 small forward, Pascal Siakam. That's what's going to happen. And the Raptors will not be a playoff contender. Never mind being a contender, they're not going to make the playoffs. That's how devastating the loss of Kawhi Leonard will be. That's how much he will impact their franchise. They'll go from being the world champs, the best of the best, to being a lottery team. That's what could happen to them. The team that they played in the conference finals, the Bucks, led by the Greek freak, who might still end up winning the regular season MVP. Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, Miritich, they're all free agents. In Milwaukee, a small market team, I'll tell you what they can't do. They don't have the money. They can't resign all four of those guys. They're going to have to prioritize who they need. Not who they want, but who they need. For my money, I actually think right after Middleton, the guy you want to keep is Malcolm Brogdon. 
26 years old, combo guard, can run an offense, plays well off the ball, could defend the point and the two and some small forwards, and has built himself into being one of the best three-point shooters in the entire NBA. Brogdon last year shot the ball from three, 42% from the field. He's that devastating a shooter, and he's that versatile a player. Factor in what he can do with Giannis along with Middleton, and that's their three. That's Milwaukee's homegrown big three. I think they have to keep that core together. In a perfect world, I'm sure they'd like to be able to offer Brooke Lopez a modest salary to keep him as well as Meritage. But the problem is, in this era, when you have bigs, Lopez 7 feet, Meritage 6'10", who have the ability to pick and pop and shoot with great efficiency, they become in demand. I'm not sure Brooke Lopez is going to give the Bucks a company discount. Same for Meritage. In the end, they want their money. So Milwaukee will not be the same team going for. And remember, I said you should go after Brogdon and Middleton. If the Bucks give Chris Middleton what he perceives to be a low ball offer and he gets a better offer somewhere else, he might bounce. Same for Malcolm Brogdon. And now you've got a completely different Bucks team that not only won't make it back to the conference finals, Giannis will struggle to get them in at the seventh or eighth seed. Again, remember what I said at the top. In the East, it's not about who you can acquire. It's about who you can keep. In the East, it's a battle of attrition. Look at the Sixers, a team that came from one great Game 7 series-ending fadeaway shot you don't see once in a blue moon made by Kawhi Leonard going in on their way to the conference finals, where I do think they would have had a legit shot to beat the Bucs as well and end up in the NBA finals. But now that team is in danger of losing three of their core players, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and J.J. Reddick. Why do you need Jimmy Butler? Because Jimmy Butler gives Joel Embiid that legit number two scoring option to play off of. Jimmy Butler can balance out what Joel Embiid can do. Jimmy Butler can create off the dribble. He can post. He can shoot from mid-range. He can get to the free throw line. No, Jimmy Butler's not better than KD or Kawhi or LeBron. But he's a fearless competitor. And what he can do is he can offset their production with his production. Jimmy Butler does not lack for confidence. All he wants I should say all he wants. He wants his money, of course. And if the Sixers offer him the max and all the reports say that's exactly what they plan on doing, they'll keep Jimmy Butler, which is key. In a perfect world, they like to also keep Tobias Harris. But I think Tobias Harris wants close to or max money. And he's not the kind of guy the Sixers should give that kind of money to. What they should focus on is retaining the talent of Jimmy Butler and getting back one of the best shooters in basketball in J.J. Redick. Yes, they can add other talent to that bench. I think if the Sixers have a weakness, 
It's that they don't have enough firepower off their bench. Is that they don't have a legit playmaker off their bench. I like C.J. McConnell. He's a heady player. He plays with a lot of en- energy. He's a feisty defender, but he's not a true playmaker. He's not that guy. If the Sixers are going to not only make a run to get back to the conference semis, but all the way to the conference finals and beyond, if they're truly going to make that run, the first call they make is to Jimmy Butler. The second call is to J.J. Redick. They've got to keep that type of talent to go along with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But that's one side of the coin. What if they aren't able to keep Jimmy Buckets? What if they lose the services of Reddick? What if they're not able to bring back any of their top free agents? That's going to be a completely different team. Yes, with Simmons and Embiid, you have two legit young cornerstones that can get you into the playoffs. But if they don't have the talent around them, if they don't have players to offset and alleviate pressure from them so that teams can't load up on them, The Sixers are going to be a different team. Remember, what you can keep. The Boston Celtics. We already know Kyrie's gone. They already knew Kyrie was gone. And Danny Ainge kind of shrugged his shoulders like he had a plan. But I think that plan got blown up when Rich Paul made it pretty clear in an interview multiple times. If you trade for Anthony Davis, we can't control that. But. No matter what and who trades for him, they were going to go to free agency, period. Meaning, trading away Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for Anthony Davis does not make sense for the Celtics. You're literally going to get a a one-year rental. And the Pelicans would get two young potential cornerstones, not an even trade. So now... Al Horford has opt out of his contract. He's not going to opt in on that $31 million, which surprised me a little bit. But that tells you if he's willing to leave $31 million on the table, Al Horford already has a team in mind. He already has a destination in mind where he wants to go. So now the Celtics are without Kyrie, without Al Horford, who is their def- defensive linchpin. He is the cornerstone of their defense. Al Horford is a great team and weak side defender and now he's gone he's also a big who can pull other bigs away from the basket because of his shooting that's eliminated no Kyrie no Al Horford Terry Rozier is a free agent are you willing to overpay for the services of Terry Rozier a lot of people would say yes I would caution them I look at Terry Rozier I see his skill set I see what he's done and what he hasn't done and I see Reggie Jackson 2.0. Terry Rozier is not worth $84 million the same way Reggie Jackson was not worth $84 million. Marcus Morris, I think, was their most consistent player, averaging around 16 points and seven rebounds, shooting over 40% from three. But unless they make him a legit offer, somewhere around 17 or 18 mil, I think he's bouncing. So the Celtics are going to be a much lesser version of what they were or what they could have been. The Pacers are bringing back Victor Oladipo off of a devastating injury. 
They're also going to lose Thaddeus Young in free agency. They're going to lose their best shooter, Bagdanovich, in free agency. Darren Collison, a solid, maybe one of the best backup point guards in the NBA, he's also going to receive a lot of interest and offers in free agency. They've already lost Tyreek Evans, but that was kind of a self-imposed thing because he just got booted from the league for a couple of years for substance issues. So the Pacers, you're talking about the top five teams in the East, Raptors, Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, and the Pacers. That sea change that I kept talking about earlier in the year and along with the last few episodes, that's here. That's happening right now. The Eastern Conference, when you look at it, usually you have a champion and you turn around and go, okay, the champ's the team to beat. But this offseason is so, so unique because if Kawhi doesn't come back, of course they're not the team to beat. And if the Bucks can't bring back a lot of that those core players, they're not the team to knock them off. Same for the Sixers. And when I look at the Celtics and the Pacers, there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be a lot of transition in the Eastern Conference. When you look at the turnover, I still think the one team, if I were going to favor somebody to come out of this on top, it would be the Sixers because you've got Embiid and Simmons. If those are your starting points, if those are your building blocks, even if you were to lose Jimmy Buckets, I still think because they're going to have the money that the Sixers can be creative, Elton Brand can go out. There are a lot of talented secondary stars out there looking for the right homes. And if Elton Brand is the guy that I think he is, he'll have that plan B in mind. I think Elton Brand will look at a guy like a Harrison Barnes. Maybe Elton Brand will make a call to a Kimbo Walker. Don't rule anything out. But that's the situation in the East. In the East, it really is about who you can keep. How much of your talent, how much of your core can you bring back in terms of money, in terms of the salary cap, maybe in terms of where they want to be? Because sometimes location is key. Sometimes they just don't love your city like that. The flip side of this is when you go to the Western Conference, some of the same problems, but this is different. The Warriors have been on top of the West for five years. And had it not been for unforeseen injuries, devastating Achilles injury to KD, something I'll probably talk about on the other side of the show. Devastating ACL injury to Clay. They're gone for next season. So now you're talking about a team that's led by Steph, Draymond. I expect them to bring Boogie back, provided they can meet somewhere in the middle on a contract, and you're going to have Iguodala. And then the question is, can they build out the bench and make it more impactful around those four players? No, I don't think Golden State's going to be one of the best players teams in the league or in the conference. But you know what? Do not underestimate a team with that track record, with that pedigree. They're proven. Steph, Draymond, Iggy, they're proven. They're champs. And you have to respect that and acknowledge the heart of champions. I really believe in that. I really think when you look at Golden State, the fact that they're going to go into next season, clear underdogs, fly under the radar, 
I still think the Warriors are going to make the playoffs. Now, they may make it as a 6th, 7th, or 8th seed, but still, that makes them dangerous. And who's who's to say that Clay isn't a great healer, isn't a unique guy? Maybe Clay comes back early. Remember, the strength of Clay's game isn't like he beats you off the dribble. He's not a next level athlete in terms of hops or explosiveness. Clay is a catch and shoot player. So a lot of times this is about how well he can move just off the ball where he can turn, catch and shoot. Clay's not trying to break you down off the dribble. What if Clay can come back and he's 90%? Then what happens? Remember, we saw a team in Portland, Dame Lillard, CJ McCullough, they got to the conference finals. And they didn't have a third star. They didn't have a guy that was next level coming off the bench. When you look at their starting five, remember, in their starting five, Mo Harkless, Aminu, and they had Ennis Cantor, three non-scorers. They had a power forward, a small forward, who couldn't shoot. They had a power forward and a small forward who couldn't take you off the dribble. They had a center who, great offensive rebounder, but he couldn't shoot and he can't guard anybody. That was three of their starting five, and they made it to the conference finals. And no, it's not because they had a great bench, because there's nothing special coming off of that Portland bench. It's amazing that they got to the conference finals. Now, part of that is Dame played out of his mind in round one, and CJ played out of his mind in round two. And to be fair, the core of that Nuggets team, 23 22, 22, 23, they're young and they're on the rise, but that was their first shot at this. I expect the Joker and Murray and company to be back. With Golden State, it's about who who they can add. With Denver, we already know who they're going to add. They're going to add a six foot eight power forward slash small forward, Michael Porter Jr., who they drafted who sat out all last season with an injury. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be 100%. And if he projects to be the player that most thought he was before the injury, that's going to be the big difference. That's going to be their big three. You're going to have Joker, Murray, Porter Jr. surrounded by talented guys like Harris, Beasley, and Barton. I think Denver's Kia acquisition is someone they already have. It's Michael Porton Jr. When you look at the Blazers, I don't think the Blazers have the talent to go beyond the conference finals. Matter of fact, I don't think the Blazers will get anywhere near the conference finals next year. The real question is, can their GM, can their front office draw in some talented free agents. They don't have to be top tier, but even second tier guys, maybe they call up Harrison Barnes. Maybe they call up a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein. If they can bring in some more talent, if they can build out that bench, if they can at least add a second, let's say a, a third or fourth score in that starting lineup, in that first starting five. Remember, again, three of their starting five non-scorers. You In this era, you have to have someone who can shoot the basketball, whether from range or from mid-range. 
And on that Blazers team, they had two guys in the starting lineup that could do that, which is amazing, again, how they got to the conference finals. When you look at the Rockets, even with all their drama between CP3 and James Harden, because of what happened to Golden State, there's an opening there. There's an alleyway there. If the Rockets can pull it together, if they can add some veteran talent, maybe more shooting, maybe a little bit more depth, yeah, I think they have one more run in them. But here's the thing about that run. I still don't think James Harden can be the best. I don't think James Harden can be the best player on a title-winning team. As much as I admire Chris Paul, he's further along on the other side of 30. He's further along from his prime. Still productive. He can still be a leader, but he's no longer a superstar. He's capable of all-star-like moments, but I don't know if that's enough. But because of his contract, CP3's not going anywhere. Because of his talent, James Harden's not going anywhere. The question is, do either of those guys have the mental toughness, not in the regular season, not in the first round, not in the second round, but in the conference finals, when it's about who's going to the finals to compete for a title. I haven't seen that from either player yet. And these are guys who are going to eventually be in the Hall of Fame. But I think that's something that's missing from their resume. When you look at Houston, yes, you've heard the reports about Harden and CP3 not getting along. But I really think this is about what or who Daryl Morey can add to those two star players. When I look at OKC, they need shooting. They need depth. And if it was just that simple, I think that's something that their front office could manage for them. But I think this goes deeper. Their problems start and end with their best player. Everything that makes Russell Westbrook special in some ways are the same things that holds him back. Everything that makes him be the explosive, talented, exciting, fearless, relentless player are sometimes the same things that make his teammates fade to black. His teammates are watching him force the ball down the court, force his way through driving lanes that aren't there, the turnovers, the bad shot selections. Russ is a great player, but but he can frustrate you. I, I can honestly see why Billy Donovan had black hair when he took the job, and now he's got nothing but white hair. Russ can do that to you. As gifted a player as he is, and I'm one of Russell Westbrook's biggest fans, I don't believe Russ can be your guy. I think Russ can help you win a title, but for them to ultimately be truly legit title contenders, you can add shooters. You can build out that bench. Unless Russ takes a step back, the franchise as a whole will never take a step forward. Back in a sec. When I first heard about the Anthony Davis deal, a friend actually called me up and told me it had went through. I really didn't even know that the Lakers and Pelicans had been in contact There are no shortage of rumors 
throughout an NBA season. Matter of fact, one of the great things that the NBA does to keep itself relevant basically year-round are rumors. The NBA is the only major sport where during the heart of the season, we as fans and the pundits in the NBA and the media members, we already start projecting about who's going to be moving and going where a season ahead. And that's an amazing thing. The NBA's rumor mill has kept the NBA relevant year round. And that's brilliant. Think about it. We're getting ready to do the NBA draft. There's going to be free agency. And before you know it, summer league. And then after summer league, what, a month layoff? And then you're back to training camp. The NBA has literally become a year-round thing. And a lot of that has to do with rumors and speculation. But I digress. Anthony Davis going to the Lakers for Lonzo Ball, for Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, along with the number four pick, and some other number one picks that will basically be like 20, 25, which it impacts the Lakers none. Um, it's a great deal for both teams. Why is it a great deal for the Pelicans? You're adding Lonzo Ball, Ingram, Hart. You're either going to draft that number four pick for yourself or trade it maybe to get another proven talent an established talent, or maybe say even as talented as a guy as Drew Holiday is, because he's a little bit older and not really part of your future, maybe you package Holiday's contract with that number four pick to make it look more attractive and more acceptable. Ultimately, you've got a young core that you've just added to Zion. And if Zion turns out to be everything he's projected to be with all the pundits and all the media members and all the hype, if he's anywhere near what they say he is, adding Ball and Ingram, who are still developing and still young players. We're talking about two guys, 21 and 22 years old. The Pelicans are going to do a full rebuild and they're going to have a young core. And if Zion is everything they said, this is going to be an interesting team. The only thing they need, and it's something they don't do in sports as much as they did back in the day, is they're going to need time to develop. If they're allowed the time to develop, and Zion is the phenom, the Pelicans are going to be must-watch. I'm not going to say something crazy or out of pocket and say they're going to make the playoffs, but what I will say is, if they're allowed to develop, I expect they'll be in the playoffs next season. So I think it works long term for the Pelicans because they're trying to build a core. Remember, the last time someone built a core, Golden State did a great job. They drafted Steph and Clay and Draymond. And then they added the talents of Iguodala. They added the talents of Sean Livingston and veterans like that around that core. The only other core in recent memory that was completely drafted, where they got it right multiple times, which is even rarer in the NBA, 
was Oklahoma City. They got it right with Jeff Green. Very good player. Then they drafted KD. And then they drafted Russ and Harden and Ibaka. And they got it right on all of those guys. And the only place that they got it wrong, they got cheap. They got cheap and they didn't keep them together long enough. But when you look at what the Pelicans can do potentially, you get rid of Drew Holiday's contract. Not only do they not have any big contracts, they're going to have a core that are all on their rookie deals. Now, granted, Lonzo Ball and Ingram will be up, I believe, if they're not they're not already offered the um, the team option. They'll be up next season. So a lot of what they're doing, a lot of what they will do this season, it's riding. Their money's riding on that. So will they be motivated? Bet. Will Zion be motivated to prove he's that guy? No question. Don't sleep on Josh Hart. Not a star, but a very good basketball player. He's one of those guys that he helps teams win. I look at Josh Hart. And I see somebody in that Sean Livingston, in that is an old school name for some of y'all, Mario Ellie Vane, that kind of guy. So it's a great move for the Pelicans because they're thinking about the future. They're going forward. Why does it work for the Lakers? It works for the Lakers for the obvious reasons that I've talked about all this season. When they made the move to get LeBron, you immediately went to win-now mode. So it never made sense to me why he would go to the Lakers knowing that they had a bunch of guys there, 20, 21 years old, who were developing and not ready in the moment. He's 34, going to be 35. He's ready to win now. He's near the end of his career, and he's still trying to win titles. He's still trying to win MVPs. He's still trying to add to his resume, his overall legacy resume. So it works for LeBron, not just because AD's a great talent, but it works even more so because you're adding someone who averages 26 points a game, 12 rebounds, four assists, two blocks, and a steal, Shoots 54% from the floor and a respectable 34 from three. You're adding that guy to another guy in LeBron who's still giving you 27, 7, and 7. That will be your front court along with someone who I think is a solid player who can score. He's more of a catch and shoot scorer, moves well without the ball in Kuzma. Let's say that's your core. And instead of going out and get another big name, sure, who wouldn't want Kawhi Leonard? He's that great. But if you can't get Kawhi, and I'm sure they're going to pitch Kawhi on why he should come there. But if you can't get Kawhi and you can't get Kyrie, who, by the way, those are the only two guys I think healthy, because that's the key. KD and Clay are out of the picture. Healthy that are worth offering a max deal. If you can't get either one of those guys, if they're not going to be part of your plan, then rather than go for that sexy move and get one guy, build out the roster. Take a shot. 
at a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Go look at J.J. Redick. What about Seth Curry? You need shooting around A.D. and LeBron. So Seth Curry, J.J. Redick. Harrison Barnes, a versatile 6'8", 6'7", 6'8", guy who can play both forward positions and has turned into a respectable three-point shooter. You need to find guys like that to fill out your roster. And that's what I would say. Look that way. Look at a guy like Bagdanovich. Look at someone like Seth Curry. Don't sleep on him. Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross is an athletic wing who can shoot the three and get buckets. Go out and get somebody like Patrick Beverly. Look, Dirty Bev, you hate him when he's not in your squad. But when he's on your team, you love Dirty Bev. What about some long, young wings that are still young, even though they've got some time in the league, like Kelly Oubre or Jeremy Lamb? Now we're talking about two guys, 6'7", 6'8", athletic, can finish at the rim and shoot the ball. I like Oubre a little bit better because he's already a tremendous and versatile defender. So what I'm saying in the big picture is, sure, getting Anthony Davis when I knew it was real, it made me excited. But I'm never one of those guys that goes over the top. I'm just even kill. So not a secret. We keep facts. Everybody knows I grew up being a Laker fan. I've been a Laker fan my life, my whole life. So I've rolled with all the blows, the ups and the downs. I don't think Anthony Davis makes them a title-winning team right now. I think Anthony Davis just made the Lakers legit. But what the front office does during free agency, what they're able to do will determine whether or not the Los Angeles Lakers are title contenders, legit title contenders. AD has made them legit. They're going to go to the playoffs. They're relevant. But the key is what kind of talent are you going to put around him and LeBron? Because that's going to determine whether or not LeBron's going to get the opportunity to win some more rings. I'm going to give the Lakers front office. I'm going to be open-minded. I think they have a legit shot. If they're smart, there are a lot of talented second tier type players who can add depth, who can be impactful, who can add shooting to your team. I know on paper, or at least on a video game, if someone told you you could have LeBron, Kawhi, and AD, that's great. But what about your overall depth? That would be beyond top-heavy. Because if they're able to free up, and as it's rumored is being reported, the Lakers are actually trying to move some of their other young players to free up $32 million to spend in free agency. If you spend all that money on one player and you'll have this top heavy three tier monster, that's great. But that would mean the rest of that roster is going to be filled out by vet minimum players. You're not going to be that deep. You're not going to be deep at all. And you're not going to be very talented. And if AD goes down for 15 games or LeBron misses 10 or 15 games. And just for the record, Wrap your minds around this. Load management is real. It is the future of the NBA. So book it. LeBron's going to be 15 games from load management at least. Same for AD. And you already know Kawhi loves it because he did it 
at to the tune of 20 plus games for load management. If you're not a deep team, if you're not a overall balanced team, that's going to be a problem. I'm not saying I wouldn't want Kawhi Leonard on my team. Who wouldn't? What I am saying is with LeBron, with AD, you can put talent around them and go to the finals. I'm going to remind you one more time. CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, no third option, no fourth option, no fifth option, no anything options, went to the conference finals. Now, they got smoked 4-0, but my point is, if they can get there with next to nothing backing them up, and more like nothing, then LeBron and Anthony Davis with a talented bench and talented role players in the starting lineup with them should be able to to duplicate that and more. I expect more from LeBron and Anthony Davis. And I'm sure guys like Stephen A. Smith will tell you the Lakers are going to the finals. Never listen to him, ever. What I'm going to say is they're legit today. When free agency is over, they're either going to be a legit title contender or a playoff contender. And that's how I'll grade them. Back in a sec. I never really commented on the Kevin Durant injury situation, but let me put this out there real quick. Anybody that agrees that it was the right move for Kevin Durant to play and risk his future, his career, is an idiot. It was not the right move. What happened to Kevin Durant ultimately, even though they say he wanted to play, and sure, athletes want to play, and sometimes they have to be saved from themselves. He fell to pressure. He fell to the pressure of the media. He fell and caved into the pressure from the organization. Look, you heard all the reports. You had guys like Stephen A. Smith, uh, Chris Bussard saying teammates were questioning how hurt he was. Like he was faking it. You had fans saying, if it doesn't come back for the team, that he's not in on the team. He's not really part of the team. He's not really committed to the team. The man has an injury, and it wasn't a bone. We're talking about muscle. And you can't determine how muscles heal from one individual to the next. And they had the nerve to say he was faking. They had the nerve to question his heart. So what did he do? He went out there. They played him 12 of the first 14 minutes of the game. And his Achilles exploded. And now Kevin Durant, one of the best three players in all of basketball, he is gone for all of next season. In his future, his NBA career, and I'm keeping it 100. We do facts, right? Facts. It's in question. Will he play again? Sure, no question. But will he be Kevin Durant, the most unguardable guy in the NBA? Will he be that guy? Seven feet, put the ball on the floor, cross you up. Jumper, three, post-up move, the fadeaway, the one-legged Dirk shot. Can he get out in the open floor and finish above the rim? Can he do all the things he was able to do before he initially was hurt. Remember, 
Injury is one thing, but now you're combining a devastating injury along with father time. KD's 30. Now you're talking about him missing a year, which means he'll age again and he won't come back 100% or at least healthy enough to try to go out there and compete till he's age 32. And I don't think the NBA is 100% a young man's league because what I know about the NBA is this, that a lot of people sleep on. Very few teams in the history of the NBA that have won a title were super young. Most teams that win titles are veteran-led. You might have some young talent or a young player on there that's part of your core that's a star, but most teams that win titles are veterans. It's a young man's league in the regular season. When it's money time, it's about vets, it's about proven talent, and so on and so on. But back to KD. I I don't know what his future is. As a fan of the game, I hope he comes back 100%. Look, as a fan of the game, I hope he's one of those flukish healers who will actually heal and be back 100% March of next season. In the history of the NBA, the only man to come back from this injury and play at an all-star level was Dominique Wilkins. And that was in the 80s. And now the idea that KD's just going to turn around at age 32 and be what he was, I hope that's the case. But for all those people, all those haters, all those people that were quick to judge, Fans, media, the other pundits, his own teammates. That's just sad. That's just embarrassing that you actually thought he was faking injury. And now when he blows out his Achilles, everybody has tears. Everybody's sorry. KD's a warrior. He was all about the team. I got a newsflash. Kevin Durant is a basketball player who loves to play basketball. And just because he gets paid millions of dollars doesn't mean he loves the game any less. Anyway, that's my thoughts. Good looking out, YouTube fam. Facebook fam, I'm back. This goes for Third Rail, The Cypher, MLC. I'm going to do another show probably Draft night, me and H, we'll get into that. And we'll talk about some potential trades before free agency. Something we can really get into. I'll do Facebook comments and responses sometime, maybe as soon as this weekend. Because there are a lot of comments and responses that I'd like to get into. And those are usually fun. Look, it's great to agree to disagree. If we can do it in a respectful back and forth way where it's about our knowledge and we just have a disagreement of opinion, that's fun. I'm with that. And so far, most of you guys, like 99.9% of you all, have been doing just that. If you want to leave a voice comment or have some questions or something like that, you know the deal. Feel, feel free to do that. It's just good to be back. It's the Cypher Fam. Next time. Thank you.